Hi, this is Pastor Duncan. Welcome to installment number one of what we're calling Words of Hope. During this time of forced separation, please know that the leadership at North Shore, we understand that during times of uncertainty, believers need a stronger and not a weaker connection to the local church. So, these daily five to ten minute devotionals are our attempt to keep us all connected as a church. But we also want to look briefly into the scriptures and provide us with some truth-driven hope during these times of uncertainty. Today, we in the Midwest really don't yet know what we're facing. The coronavirus, at least in our immediate region, hasn't really surfaced. That means that the temptation for us is for us to look at other areas that are much impacted and then to be afraid or anxious that that might come here. So today we want to speak to the issue of this general sense of fear and anxiety that many in our parts of the country are facing. But before we do that, let's pray. Our Father, you are sufficient to meet any need, and that includes you are sufficient to give us peace when we're afraid. Father, would you use this time to do that so that we can honor you that we can show the world and the angels who are looking upon us that you are sufficient and that you are able and that our confidence is rightly placed in you. Do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear is like all emotions, which I mean by that, it is given by God. All our emotions are given by God. That is, it's not inherently evil. Sometimes we think it is. It's like anger. It can serve an important and even redemptive purpose. If someone is brandishing a knife and running after you, fear is not only appropriate, it's downright helpful. That kind of fear gets our adrenaline going, helps us run fast or do whatever else might be necessary to get out of that situation. But fear is also like anger in that much of the time our fear ends up being sinful because it's rooted in unbelief, and unbelief is always sin. It's also sinful when we're afraid because one of our idols is being threatened, but that's another topic. Today, in the midst of the uncertainty of the coronavirus, fears can multiply. We can be fearful for our health, or our financial well-being, or our job, or any other potential tragedy that we've seen played out in other places like Italy and China and New York City. Because fears can more easily increase in our present context, it's a good idea to allow the scriptures to guide us into how to think about fearful situations and how to respond to them. One of the most helpful texts to me over the years are the words of assurance from King David in Psalm 56, 3 and 4. And many of you, I know, know those verses from heart. We're told that David wrote this psalm during a particularly stressful time in his life. King Saul, as he seemingly always was, was pursuing him to kill him. And so David got tired of running, and so he finally went, he fled to the Philistines, to Achish, who was the king of a city called Gath, which also happened to be Goliath's hometown. The servants of Achish, his advisors around the king of, king of the Philistine town, Gath, they advised him to stay clear and, frankly, to hurt David. They said, David is this Hebrew, this renowned warrior. He's killed so many of our brethren. 
and so immediately an antagonistic relationship formed. David somehow got wind of this before they were able to act on it, and in 1 Samuel 21:12, the author tells us, David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he's really afraid here, and evidently God used this incident to teach David more fully how to respond to his fears. So, as David is subsequently looking back on this episode and reflecting on his fear, he prays, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I want us to briefly look at a three-pronged strategy to overcome fear from David that are really found in these two verses. The first strategy may seem counterintuitive to us, but it's true and it's important. And that is, we need to welcome times of stress because they expose what we're really trusting in. Verse 3 would have been just as accurate, not nearly as helpful, if we'd read everything but the last word. In other words, if I'd read, when I am afraid, I put my trust in. Whatever. The point is, we are always going to trust in something. God hardwired humanity to be people who trust. Before the fall, David perfectly trusted in God, and so he lived in perfect peace and contentment with Eve. But when sin entered the world, tragically, humanity didn't stop trusting. We simply transferred the object of our trust from God to something or someone else, frequently ourselves. But we can also trust in our spouse for our safety and security. We can trust in other members of our family. We can trust in our bank accounts. Many do in America. We can trust in things that help us escape from whatever is threatening us. This is where sex and drugs and the media and other potential idols come into play. The point is, we're all trusting in something. And then the coronavirus comes along with its fearful implications, and our jobs, security, health are threatened. And so what does that threat do? Mercifully, if we're afraid, it exposes to us the real object of our trust something other than God. And it reminds us that whatever the inadequate object of our trust has been, that thing, that person, whatever, is weak and inadequate, like it's always been. Other people or things or money or escape simply will not give us the peace we all need in the face of a global and potentially disastrous pandemic. This kind of fear, anxiety, it's painful. We don't like it. But it's also a very good thing in this sense. As it did for David, it forces us to see that we have not been looking to God, but to something or someone that can in no way bring us the peace we need in the midst of trial. Crises, like the one we may be facing now, are really God's gifts of grace to us because they reveal to us that though we thought we had been trusting in God, in our sinful unbelief we were actually trusting in something else that will never hold up under the weight of our anxiety. David obviously calls us to trust in God, and that leads us to the second prong in David's strategy in trusting God, and that is consciously remind yourself to look to God for your safety and security. The Christian life doesn't happen through osmosis. It doesn't just happen automatically. It's a conscious thing. It requires us to set our minds. That's self-evident to the believer, but it's also easy to forget. 
it's important for us to break that down just a bit more. Because our tendency in times of crisis is to try harder to fix the problem. We need to move part of our stock portfolio to the bond market or gold instead of the stock market. We need to polish up our resume. We need to sell our unnecessary assets. We need to do some more networking to angle for a new job if that's necessary. And those things might be wise, but they'll never bring peace. As it is with defeating any sin, the answer is never in doing something different to solve the problem. The answer is substituting a trust in God for whatever else it's we're wrongly trusting in. Think about it. We conquer lust by finding our satisfaction in God instead of sex. We conquer greed by finding our riches in Christ and not money. And likewise, we overcome fear by finding our safety and security in God, not in whatever else we've been looking to. But moving your trust to God is easy to talk about, not nearly as easy to do. So how? How do we do this? And that's really David's third prong of his strategy, and it's found in the last sentence in verse 4. David says at the end of verse 3, however, as we lead up to that, he says, I shall not be afraid. In other words, I will not be afraid because I will trust in God to keep me safe from the Philistines instead of whatever other broken reed I might have been leaning on. And he'd probably been leaning, as he often did, on his skill and cunning as a warrior. We all tend to default to whatever it is we're good at, our skills, our abilities. But in verse 4, he tells us what that trust looks like or how to have this trust in God. And he does that ingeniously by asking the question, what can flesh do to me? Do you see what David is doing here? The threat for him was flesh, that is, his mortal enemies, the Philistines who were trying to kill him. So David is comparing the threat, in his case, flesh, warriors, with God. And he says, in essence, if my trust is in the omnipotent Lord of the universe, who's promised me that I will be king someday, I know he is far bigger than any Philistine or anyone else who would seek to do me harm. David learned to trust God by looking intently, focusing like a laser beam at God in his almighty power and splendor, who'd promised him security. And he compared that exalted vision of God to the Philistines, and it was no contest. It's like the old hymn says, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our problem is we don't spend near as much time as we should sitting in the light of his glory and grace. That's one reason you need to read the Bible every day. When we're afraid, it's because we're looking at whatever the threat is, something like the coronavirus, we're looking at it in isolation. We're looking at it as if it's in a vacuum with us. When we're afraid, it's because we've somehow, in our unbelief, removed God from the picture. That's what we've done. It's when we begin to look at God in comparison to whatever the threat of the moment is that the peace of God replaces fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety, like any sins, cannot be willed out of existence. But they can be forcefully kicked off the throne by something stronger than them. They can be replaced by something else stronger than them. And that is the peace that comes from God as we focus on him and not the present threat. And we have promises from God that we can trust in him, just like David, only ours are better ones. 
Jesus promises us in Matthew 6 that God cares for the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. He cares for the lilies of the field. Here today, gone tomorrow. And his point is how much more will he care for you? Created in his image. His son shed his blood for you. We're infinitely more important to him than that which he already takes care of well. And he's pledged. He's pledged to do what is best for us in every situation. He has promised us that he will give us all the care, all the provision, and all the protection we need from viruses or their implications. So let's think about this in review. If you feel fear in this time of uncertainty, confess it to God as a lack of trust in him, but also know and thank God that your fear is a gift of his grace to you. He's giving it to you to expose or to reveal to you that you've not been placing your trust in him. And that's a good thing. Secondly, consciously remind yourself to look to God for your safety and security. That's important. And third, one way we do that is to compare whatever the threat is to us, sickness, bankruptcy, loss of possessions, death, and compare it with, what, with who God is. He's better by far than anything this has to offer, and he's stronger by far than any enemy we may face. And he has committed himself to give us what is absolutely the best for us. These are words of hope. May God give us the grace to use this time of testing to grow in our faith as we learn how to do battle against our fears for his glory and for our joy. Amen.